Good afternoon, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Get my little sheets here together. So here we are today on a Friday, 12.15, right before lunch. So why are we here? Welcome, seminar participants. I want to announce to you today, you're going to be hearing from some tremendous and amazing panelists from various backgrounds. And you'll be receiving CEU credit. So today, this panel discussion is going to be talking about DEI ambassadors making a difference, making a diverse workplace a reality. So uh, we know how important diversity is and making a reality for today. As you can tell, I am an introvert. Um, I work hard at what I do today, so I'm expecting a lot of support and interaction from the audience, and so I hope that you will do that, and thank you so much for indulging me this morning by getting up and singing, I am every woman. For, for the men who are here, we are every woman, but we couldn't do it without your support, so thank you so much for being here today. Um, we do have a presentation that we're going to give today, but it's not just about the presentation, it's about the conversation that we want to have, and that too will be available for you at the end. We have a number of speakers here today, um, but uh, I'm not going to talk, uh, present the, all the uh, panelists today. I wanted to identify first our very first speaker today, who's going to provide uh, some background information with regards to the importance of diverse communities. Her name is Ms. Cynthia Miller. She is the Chief Executive Officer of Cynthia Miller Consulting. She's a cyber and human resources professional, and she collectively served over 44 years at the National Security Agency. And for those of you who are not familiar with NSA, you got it. We say, what did they say? If I tell you, I got to kill you. Uh, she certainly is uh, in that space under the director of national security. She's also a veteran, um, a retired officer from the Department of the, the Navy, and she was a senior executive. And for those who are not familiar with senior executives, that's the, one of the highest ranking positions in the, uh, in the uh, civilian uh, workforce. Um, she has provided a uh, significant amount of uh, expertise in leadership and human capital, cybersecurity, um, and particularly as it relates to recruitment, diversity, inclusion, and the strategic workforce. She is a graduate from MIT. Foreign Relations and International Affairs Fellow. She holds a master's degree in, in personnel management. She holds a bachelor's degree of business, I mean, I'm sorry, a master's degree in business administration and a master's degree equivalent in strategic planning from the Marine Corps Command and Staff College. So without further ado, I'd like to present to you Ms. Cynthia Miller. In case NSA is listening. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do 44 years there. I just have to correct that, but uh, she's certainly right. I have 44 years of experience in human capital. I did 17 years there and 27 in the Navy. Yes, I was a child prodigy, in case you're trying to figure out my age. <laughs> so what is diversity? Can someone tell me what comes to mind when you hear that word? Age, gender, and race. Okay, and like thank you. Like she said, you. a difference. And difference, something that's different, or the differences, correct? Okay, so uh, when I, just to make it official, looked it up in the, believe it or not, some people use dictionaries. <laughs> this is our IT queen. She's trying to 
bring me up to the <laughs> modern age. Anyhow, uh, it said diversity refers to individuals and groups slash social differences. Typically, or traditionally, we think of diversity. Uh, what comes to mind is color, ethnicity, gender. And of course, as uh, the young lady said here, it's much, much more than that. Because today, we also, uh, and we should, it, the default should also be to include disability and uh, backgrounds. So why are we still talking about diversity and, and inclusion? I'm sorry. Well, the US STEM workforce uh, gradually diversified between 2011 and, 20, and 2021. Not enough has changed. Does anyone in here disagree with that? Okay. Uh, we need to grow more as companies and individuals. We have to amplify other voices, not just your own. And that included another difference. It could be even the backgrounds. When I give you a quick example, when I first joined the Navy, I, I grew up in Georgia, if you haven't picked up on my Southern accent, and I had certain words that I was accustomed to when I was growing up. And I was the only minority, the only black officer, the only female, well, one other female, I'm sorry, she was from Arkansas. So anywho, so uh, and, yeah, that's one of those words. And so one of the white officers told um, my boss, we don't know what she's talking about. So when I was called in to give and was given my feedback and I said, what do you mean? He said, you call everybody a girl and a boy. I said, well, don't you call anybody a boy. I can tell you that if he's black. So anyway, but we were joking around. But it's just, it's the little things sometimes you don't think about, your vernacular. And there are foods that are unique to one part of the country. You guys up here certainly don't know how to make sweet tea. But it's just, you know, it's just wow. certain things taking, taking that are shots. differences. <laughs> It's um, another type of diversity. I'm not trying to make light of diversity. I'm just trying to make some lightness in the room. But anyway, and uh, give credit where credit is due. I suspect there are many people in here. I know for myself, and I was talking with a comrade and others who are in the audience, a lot of times you have ideas, you present them, but when they get presented, they're no longer yours, and people forget that you gave them the input and or it was your idea or your project. I see some oh, heads nodding. Yeah. That's okay. To me. Okay. Mm -hmm. So. Um, excuse me. Uh, it is important to continue recruiting women in STEM, of course, and I don't think we'll ever get, no, I hope we'll get to a point where we won't have to have these types of discussions. What I found when I researched some of this information is that a more concerning issue is retention and promotion of women and salaries uh, relative to, in comparison to your male counterparts in the areas of research. You don't necessarily get those kind of projects to take on or more impactful jobs. So we have a lot of work to do. Uh, another study that I looked at is referred to as the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging, DEIB. I don't know if it's pronounced as DEIB or something, but it's DEIB. It said that the top barriers to effectiveness and insufficient prioritization at top leadership levels, 44%, lack of metrics, 44%, and a lack of time, 43%. So I'm sure my fellow panelists will touch on some of this relative to senior leadership and how we can impact and make a difference. And those of you who are in the room in leadership roles, in addition to managerial and or just among your peers. So these stats I found quite concerning, and only 15% of the respondents in the study said that their organizations are at an expert or advanced stage of development based on 
uh, the DEIB study. 80% of the organizations measure DEIB in some way, but only 55% use basic workforce data. So to me, that was a little uh, askew. And 32% I'm sorry, believe that equitable pay is among their executives' top five priorities. Another quick story. When I first went to work at NSA, I was a retired uh, colonel, I'm sorry, captain. You Army ladies are rubbing off on me. Air it's Force. equivalent to a full bird. Air, Air Force, Force, I'm sorry. Air Force. We all love each other. So I retired as a Navy captain, equivalent to a full bird. And when I went to NSA, I knew nothing about comparable salaries. And I don't have a technical background. That, that wasn't why I was recruited in the first place. But anyway, um, I was in HR, but I was in charge of recruitment and staffing. And just happened to be talking to some of my peers who did not look like me at all. And they were talking about, and I did get six figures walking in the door, so did they. But theirs was a whole lot, the first number was a lot bigger and shaped different from mine. So I was like, oh, mm. I said, what's your background? The person told me. I said, what's your background? The person told me, and I'm like, they gave them $20,000 more than they gave me. So when I became uh, HR, I didn't give myself $20,000. <laughs> but I made sure the bonuses were equitable. So sometimes you're used in a way to help others where you may not benefit. I found pleasure in being able to make a difference. But I sure would have appreciated those $20,000, too. <laughs> but if you're interested in this study, you can Google uh, the intuitive, I'm sorry, the initiative on women in science and engineering and seven actionable strategies. It's very interesting. So you may also know, and I was chatting with one of the, my comrades last night, a lot of studies have been done, especially by Rand McNally. I know in the Navy, we, every study, 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 same is true at NSA. They weren't the only uh, company, but the results were always the same. However, the actions weren't and or they weren't as effective as we, as we need them to be even today. Great findings all true, is how do you utilize it? What do you put in place to make sure that those things make a difference, right? Where's the accountability? That was the big thing that was lacking at my last job, is where was the accountability? We know what to do. I believe everything's being tried that can be relative to my workplace, previous workplace. However, the results aren't there. And a lot of this starts at the top. And here's a great example, though, that was a good result, I think, uh, in my opinion, relative to a study that Rand did, they conducted a study for Department of Defense and Department of Homeland Security, and they're known for, uh, the study is known for its association with the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Uh, that was a policy that prevented openly gay and lesbian individuals from serving in the U.S. military. And the study showed that that had nothing to do with productivity, and how well the job was being performed. But so studies, some studies can actually yield great results. It's just, what do you do with them? And a lot of times, um, the ones I've read and had to read over the years, you can just blow the dust off and nothing's changed. Not much. And that's not a good thing, necessarily. Okay. So no matter what your role is, you can affect change at your company, in your office, uh, your workplace, that inspire people from different backgrounds to thrive and to feel valued. 
So I looked up, uh, according to Shanita Sims, there are nine ways to foster inclusivity. Be transparent, use inclusive language, be an ally, self-educate, switch up your social media scene, amplify marginalized voices, lean into discomfort, accept critical feedback, and please diversify your network. And uh, our fellow my fellow panelists will address some of those, and I have uh, just more to say about each one of them myself. So when we talk about be transparent, everyone in the company or the office or the organization or the agency or the military, leadership and individual contributors alike should practice transparency. Admit to your shortcomings and encourage others to do the same. From my experience, the best results came from sharing personal experiences. When George Floyd uh, was murdered, if you don't know who that is, that was an African-American male who was killed by a uh, white policeman and blah, 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 blah. So my agency, we had an actual standout. The director said, today we're going to have training, we're gonna have those hard conversations. And every senior executive, no matter what your ethnicity, race, age, whatever, we had to hold sessions with our respective workforces and talk about differences. What are you feeling? How does this make you feel? It was a safe space. We had to make sure that we uh, provided a safe space. Nothing was recorded. There was nobody taking notes. Your EAs, your executive assistants weren't invited. It was just, I'm sorry, they were part of the workforce, but they weren't doing their typical job of taking notes. And uh, it was quite revealing. And it made some people, even though I knew personally the deputy director and the director, of course, one of them became more human to me when he shared his personal story about uh, someone very close to him being uh, a staunch racist and having been raised in that environment. However, he was not that way. He and his father, I'm sorry, were, did some different things. And then he, you know, it was some of the things he shared and things he saw and just made sure that they were a part of in their neighbor or the neighborhood across the railroad track. It was just tear jerking. And I was thinking, he became someone a little bit different. I liked him anyway. But he became different to me because I would have never known that. I didn't know he had that kind of humility. He would always ask me, are those braids or a weave? He'd ask things about my hair and other things like that. And I'm like, you don't cross that line. Let me, let's have a talk. You, you, you're getting a little too comfortable. Let me explain why. <laughs> Someone might slap you for that. I'm not that person. But there's certain things you don't ask women anyway about their hair. But anyway, I'm not trying to belittle that. But the point is, you become more humanized, especially when you're in a leadership role, especially those senior levels, when you just let people know, hey, I hurt when you pinch me. I bleed just like you do. I've been through some stuff. This is how I work through it. I'm sorry if I offended you. Um, one time we had, uh, we hired an agency. Uh, this lady was a contractor and uh, she um, provided people with certain disabilities. She herself was a paraplegic. And so we were talking, I had to go meet with them in Pittsburgh and I was leaning down to talk to her. And she said, first I need to give you some training, which I was not, I'm sorry, at all offended by that. She said, don't lean down when you're talking to me, I can see. And I can look up and I see you. Not that I was that tall anyway. But she said, that's offensive to many people in a wheelchair. I would never have known that. 
So you can sometimes make mistakes and offend people and not even know that you're doing it. That's why it's best to do what? Try to learn about those differences. That's what diversity is all about, is accepting the differences. And I tell you, I never did that again. And when I studied a lot of the different types of disabilities, I learned a lot, especially when you're dealing with deaf people. And we had quite a representation of diverse disability, rather, at the agency and in the role that I had. I needed to know that and not say something, uh-oh, you've already, you, you don't mean it and you've hurt the person, but guess what? The person is still offended. So it's best to try to avoid to ever do that. Use inclusive language. Instead of, here's an example, instead of addressing a group of people, like I always used to do, especially coming from the military, at least the Navy, as guys. Guys is gender neutral. Not everybody knows that, right? One person said, hey, I'm not a guy. Isn't it clear that I'm not a guy? And I'm thinking, oh, she's really uninformed. Well, that was... That wasn't very wise on my part. That was just something that was common to me because of my background to say guys. When I'm not really talking about Reggie, who's a man, I'm talking, again, gender neutral. So you could say instead something like team, my work family, fam. There's so many other words you can use. And some people may not be offended at all. I just happen to have had that experience. So be an ally. An ally. So, okay, someone in the audience, what, when I say the word ally, what comes to your mind? I would say someone who maybe supports your decisions, who kind of come to your defense mm -hmm. um, in situations where you feel uh, kind of vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So that's my definition. Great answer. And they speak up, too, even when it's scary, right? And sometimes that word can be synonymous with a sponsor someone who sponsors you. And they're different than a sponsor and a mentor, but that's not what this brief is about. So I'm going to keep going. Okay. <laughs> Self-educate. Like I did to learn more about some of these things and uh, in the workplace, take the initiative to learn more about whatever that topic is, and especially people and their backgrounds. Switch up your social media. So why, ask yourself, why am I on LinkedIn, Twitter? Is it Twitter? Yeah, Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, Instagram, yes. Facebook. Yes. It's X now. See, thank you. Yeah, yeah. X. Okay, you. obviously okay. I don't do any of that stuff. Uh, so look into those things. And one thing I want to share, and those of you who are technical may be familiar with, I think it's pronounced POSIT, uh, peopleofcolorintech.com. If you aren't, please look that up. I learned a lot. And it's a platform that tells stories and thoughts of people of color in tech. And then color lines, you familiar with that? Okay, the digital media platform that seeks to build a political home for everyday people and activists. And then Amplify Marginalized Voices. You're going to ask someone that question, mm -hmm. so I'll skip that one. Mm -hmm. And then lean into your discomfort. Learning, leaning into discomfort means having the hard conversations, and I know someone else is going to talk about that. And please learn how to accept critical feedback. Don't be defensive. I was chatting with a young lady yesterday outside of one of the sessions, and she was just cheering up with what's going on with her at her, her job. And I, I said, what did they say to you? To me, it was critical feedback. I don't even know where it wasn't, but I'm not the person. But nevertheless, receive it as feedback. And then there's a way to go back. Send an email. Can I get some clarification as to what you meant? Is there a better way that I can do this based on uh, what you need? How can I better support you? But instead of taking it personal, um, just accept the feedback. And diversify your own network. So. 
I learned this word, C-suite leadership, when I started doing these kind of conferences years and years ago. I wasn't aware of that word. I was always aware of executive levels. So same thing. So anyway, we have a responsibility. The tone is set from the top. Like I shared the story about my director having the stand down. That's just one example. There are a lot of things that this guy did um, to set the tone. It's, it's, it's not enough to just have your diversity statement on the wall right, and have that policy read every three months or when something happens. You've got to live it. Preach it, live it, you know, walk the walk, talk the talk. And then you do want to publish your strategy, your strategic plan. And one thing, too, that's very, very critical, and I learned this the hard way uh, in some areas, obtain buy-in, not just from the leadership, but from all levels, because guess what? The people who are not at the leadership level, they're the ones who have to execute and make sure that it's carried out. They need to believe in it, own it, and you need to set the example and provide the strategy relative to how to make all of that happen. And more than anything, please set the example. So there's just some data you can read for yourself. And I, the slides are available. I think they will be online if you need that. But that's a study. You can Google the National Science Foundation. They had a lot of data in addition to that that I thought was very um, useful. So I just want to say this. I just want to say this one stat that won't be on the slide. Uh, so black students had higher representation among the US citizens and permanent residents in the social and behavioral sciences, only earning 12% of bachelor degrees in those fields, and also only 5% in degrees really uh, in engineering. So we have a lot of work to do, and I, I'm sure the women in the room who are in technology and men who are familiar with the workplace and the demographics in your respective companies or what have you, understand uh, we've got a lot of work to do. There's another stat you can look at real quick. Uh, 541 report cards show that women are still unrepresented in STEM fields. Okay, next, just this quote I thought was really good that I found, the difference between workplace and a nice place to work is the good people who make it so. And again, ask yourselves, do I know a veteran? Do I know someone from uh, the LGBT community? Do I know someone over the age of 50, 40, 60, 70? Do I know someone who doesn't look like me? Do I know someone with a different background from the South who love grits? All of that stuff. So anyway, uh, thank you for your time, and uh, let's have some more fun. Thank you so much, Cynthia. I mean, she just left us with a, a lot of pearls and nuggets that we can take back to our workplace. But certainly as we are here together, we not only want to talk about the workplace, but what kind of tools that can help you as it relates to shaping and preparing yourself for your future endeavors. So at this time, I'd like to expand and, and talk about the uh, two more panelists that are on, on the stage here who have, I mean, some serious background. In fact, one of them, I, I knew his father when I worked at a different place, and uh, we were just, uh, checking in and say, hey, does he remember me when I was uh, with with child? And he just, Reggie had let me know, well, I was in high school or college when you were, I, I didn't ask for that. <laughs> so let me go ahead and, and um, share who the other panelists are. So we have uh, Miss Antonia Arnold McFar McFarland. She is from Raleigh, North Carolina. Am I saying it right, North Carolina? And is a manager of STEM diversity advancement at John Deere. Uh, where she has worked as a technical, a technical and engineering roles 25 years, primarily in manufacturing and quality. 
Her role focuses on strategically growing advanced and diverse pipe, talent pipeline in STEM at pre-college, college, and career levels. She has a BS in mechanical engineering from North Carolina State U University, has two graduate level degrees and uh, various awards, and been a recognition for involvement in STEM at work and community. She's a life member of the National, so National Society for Black Engineers and serves on numerous academic and community and advisory boards. So welcome, Ms. McFarland. Our second panelist is Mr. Reggie Humphrey. He's director of DEI operations from General Motors, the building that was over next to us, right? For the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. He serves, um, he has, he leads a team focused on three strategic pillars, um, talent, equity, inclusion, employee, employee experience, and communities and social impact. Prior to his role, Reggie led the growth and development of GM supply chain inclusion efforts for a number of years. He's driving innovative programs and highly valued partnerships. He also serves on many boards. Um, he is volunteer, a member of the Women's Business Enterprise National, National Council. So we certainly want to, ladies want to listen from a man's perspective. Advancing minorities' interest in engineering and, and the Tuck um, Diverse Business Executive Education Programs at Dartmouth College. He holds a BS degree from Alabama A&M University and an MSA from Central Michigan University. So, ladies and gentlemen, I introduce you our two additional panelists. So, as Cynthia brought us to really identifying a number of things, I want to take this time to kind of elaborate on um, the number of um, the nine inclusive fostering disciplines. I think that's critical, particularly for those of us um, who are in this field. And I, I guess I was remiss in introducing myself. Um, I am Victoria Bowens. I am the Director of Diversity and Inclusion for Outreach and Strategic Engagement for the Department of Defense under the Office, of, under the Office Secretary of Defense for Personnel Readiness. I've been in the DNI space since about, uh, what, 2013. Um, retired Colonel within manpower and personnel, and so I came into DNI. But as I think about it, I've always been a part of this space because of who I am. And so my experiences and my background really has led me into the space. So I'm certainly glad to be here. Enough about me. I want to hear from our panelists because uh, certainly as we talk about foster inclusivity, it's also understanding who we are and what helps us move forward as we chart our path cl um, closer to advancing to the senior executive degree, becoming a general officer in a military service. And so having those tools necessary are, are critical. And so my, my first question is, um, I'm going to turn it over to um, Ms. Antonia McFarland. I want to know, um, what is your thoughts on uh, allyship and the value of allyship? So thank you for that question. Um, allyship is very important. And I say that because, um, you need someone who has, they are empowered to do something that you may not have to be empowered to do. You may not have the platform to do. And their voice, their influence, their connections can be used to help you get to those areas that you ordinarily would not um, be able to do. Um, I can think of some examples growing up from South Carolina, um, the, the late, the early 70s, so if you're not, you don't understand, I'm Gen X, so you might not understand what that was like, but my family integrated a neighborhood at that time. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so people already mm-hmm. know. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, like we were the first black children in an all-white neighborhood. Well, we had no allies. We had none. Now, there were some people that I thought were our allies. I mean, I'm like three, so I didn't really know this word, but as I think back, I understand what that means now. So when we first got there, um, we, had, we were living with my grandmother, and we um, that we had to move leave that neighborhood because it was it was getting gentrified. So we got our own place, and my dad said, "You're gonna have a room." So I went to go see the room. I said, "Dad, there is a big rock in the room." Well, someone had thrown bricks through all of our windows, the welcome wagon. And whenever we called the police. Um, the people who we thought were our friends would say they didn't see anything. We eventually found out who it was. So we had no allies. Now, what would have been helpful is if someone who had um, active, authentic allyship, they were performative allies, I guess, but if they were authentic, they would have said, we know who's doing this, and we know the family. You know, they would have stood up for us and helped us through a very you know, hard time. But it's important that... Um, as an ally, and you may be an ally not even knowing that you are an ally, you could be, but basically your authentic um, voice is able to help someone even when it's unpopular. It, may, it might even cause you a little harm and pain, but you have enough human ability in you and spirit to, to um, take that risk. Thank you. I'd like to take that further, and I think it's, it's certainly one that of, of value, and so, um, Reggie, to piggyback on, 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 on expanding your voice to be an ally, um, how do you, uh, what do you think about, you know, how can we amplify our, our voices when we are feeling marginalized? So uh, first, before I get started, I got to give a shout out to all the beautiful and, and, and brilliant uh, women of General Motors that are in the building. So y'all raise your hands. <laughs> So in case y'all don't like my answer, I got back up. <laughs> All right. So now, here's my thing on, on amplifying our voices that are traditionally marginalized. First of all, data is king and queen, right? So if you don't have data to make people uncomfortable, right? Like I love looking at data that makes folks squirm in meetings, right? When they don't see representation, that they know we have a problem. Mm-hmm. So, so that's one of the first things I say is that if you cannot allow data to drive awareness, and create action plans and then hold people accountable, our marginalized voices will go nowhere. So don't get emotional about it. We all know life is unfair, but the, the great poetic writer Jay-Z said, men and women lie, numbers don't. <laughs> so when you present data in front of folks, and data doesn't have to be necessarily a report that you can't get access to. Sometimes data is just looking at your org chart. Sometimes data is sitting in the room, looking around the room and pointing out the fact that you are the only woman of color in the room. So what I would say is, but then the way you amplify that, right, because they're expecting you to get emotional. They're expecting you, and I'm saying you, I'm saying anyone who's marginalized, they are expecting you. I I like to go with the calm approach. I just want to start asking questions. Mm -hmm. And when you see people start squirming in their seats, right, that's when you, like, so I I got some people on my team, I I hire for uncomfortable moments, Mm -hmm. right? I want people around me all the time that question, right, and make me feel very uncomfortable about how I'm leading, right? So I got Jen from my team. Now, Jen is a staunch advocate (laughs) when it comes to accessibility. Jen will question me when it comes to, did you think about this when it comes to that building access? Did you think about this when it came to that software tool that we're using? Did you think about, and I'm like, ooh, 
Yeah, thank you. Right, because that's what we want to surround ourselves with. So again, if you want to amplify marginalized voices, let's start with data and then be curious enough to keep asking questions. And when you get bad answers, politically correct answers, other types of answers that I'll, I'll leave nameless, right? Keep asking them. Make people, when you see people are uncomfortable, keep asking questions, no emotion. Sometimes putting it on paper, that's where all the emotion gets drained out. But the more you keep being curious and the more you keep presenting data, it will force awareness, it will force action plans, which ultimately should lead to accountability. Absolutely, great, great point, I'm, I, I like that. Can I add something on to what oh, you just absolutely. said? Oh, yeah. absolutely. You made me think about something too. So like, um, as an ally, mm -hmm. take action on that data. Make sure that it's not just data for the sake of getting data, mm -hmm. but there's an action that is called from seeing something, from getting that insight. And a lot of times, allies are the people empowered to make that happen. So just wanted to point that out. Thank you so much. You know, you, when, you, when you talk about, you know, um, the data, sometimes the data is, is, is for you to know what you need to do next. And so, so when we talk about what the percentage of folks who are in the STEM space, sometimes where you are is not where you need to be today, that you need to do something differently. So, so, so Cynthia, you brought up, you know, one of the principles of, of inclusivity is to self-educate. And so, you know, when is the right time to, to pivot, if you will, from where you are today to where you, are to, where you need to be tomorrow? So can you elaborate on, on the self-education? So if I may, I'll use myself as an example. Okay. So as I said, when I went to um, the National Security Agency, that intel was not my background at all. And they were speaking a totally different language, and some of the acronyms were, were what I, those that I knew in the Navy. To give you a quick example, I was in a briefing, and so when I walked in the door at, as a senior executive, there was a, you know, although I knew how to be at the leadership level, the executive level, at the table, so to speak, C-suite leadership, I didn't know their culture at all. So they were speaking a language, we're in this technical brief, and they used the word CNO. To me, that's the chief of naval operations. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there, what the, that makes absolutely no sense to me. So one of the guys, thank God he's a buddy today, he said, Cynthia, I can see you're perplexed. That means uh, computer network operations. I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Now it makes sense, but I didn't know, and it was a lot of acronyms that were the same as those that were used in the Navy. So I had to learn, I had to learn a whole new language, a new speak, if you will. And also, I had to learn how to manage differently. I had to learn how to lead and manage extroverts. Most of the people there, if anyone's here from there, you know I'm telling the truth. They are extroverts. I'm an extrovert, and I got in the elevator one day, and hi, how are you? The man backed up to the back of the elevator, and then he pushed the buttons so he could get off. First, I thought, oh, it's because I'm black. It wasn't that. So when I went and told my boss, I said, I have never been so insulted. He said, you're too friendly. You make people, uh, they have goosebumps because you're just in your face, you're so friendly. Notice the people around, they look down at their shoes all day. They do more than that, obviously, or this country wouldn't be as safe as it is. However, comma, you do have to recognize when you need to self-educate and you never stop learning, never, all right? Always be willing and eager to still learn, gain, and grow. 
So you just have to be aware of that. And you take the initiative to do research. I learned a lot about technology, quite frankly, mm -hmm. from this lady and from uh, my research. And I said, oh, this is intriguing. But you have to also have the initiative, the motivation, and the ambition to want to self-educate. But always be determined and committed to doing that. Exactly. I, I like to pose the same question to, to you, um, Antonia. You know, you're a member of the National Society of Black Engineers, and, and so you, you serve on a number of boards. And so from, from that perspective, you know, what kind of discussions are being had with regards to, to self-education? Most definitely. So um, one thing that uh, is important right now is as, as, a, as we get into a society that has a lot of um, social things happening, like there's a lot in the news, you just really have to be socially conscious. You just can't live and not know what's going on. Like, I never watched the news. You cannot be that person that never watches the news, right? You really need to have, okay, okay. You really got to be aware, right? Because you, some of your coworkers or people that you are in an organization with could be impacted by something that's heavily weighing on them that's happening in the news. So you need to just have an awareness, self-educate, of what's happening, what's going on. Is this impacting people that I work with? Most of us right now are probably able to connect globally really quickly. You may have colleagues or coworkers that are in other countries. Um, so you need to be aware of what's happening, what's impacting them. Maybe this isn't a good time for this meeting that I was gonna have, or maybe when I get in there, we just need a few minutes to just be human beings for a few minutes and show, show some empathy and some EQ. So I think it's very important and then also, Choose, a, uh, choose a, uh, a demographic to get to know more about, like really get immersed in. When I turned 40, uh, I won't tell you how long ago that was. Yesterday. But <laughs> I said, you know Happy what? Birthday. Thank you, thank you. I'm going to learn to speak Spanish. Had never studied it before, but because I had a manager who was Latino, I had, I had education every day on his culture. Like I was eating food, we was going to restaurants, like, and he said, you know, if you want to speak Spanish, you can take it for a year. We had it offered at work. So I got to take it. And one day I said, I'm going to immerse myself. Cary, North Carolina, very diverse area. I'm going to go to this place and get my eyebrows done. I'm going to figure out how to say it. Well, I got in there and look, I was like, somebody in here is going to speak English right now if I can't get it right. No, nobody in there was speaking English. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get my eyebrows waxed. I could not figure that out. And then when I got back to work, he said, Tony, there's no word for waxed. <laughs> that was the problem. But you have to learn by um, educating yourself. And then when I would go to the grocery store, I'm going to prepare Spanish to check out. I'm going to go to the agent. That's how I was learning it, by you know put, putting myself in there and taking those like day-to-day -day opportunities to, to educate and then really get to know the culture. So choose a group that you are not connected with and just push yourself into it yeah. and learn. Absolutely. Anybody familiar with the book uh, yeah, Emotional Intelligence? Have you read Emotional Intelligence? And so there, there are a couple of things that, particularly for that one, is being um, socially competent and being personally competent. And so part of that, I think, is important. And, and I'm going to bring out my little military self because sometimes we use the word embrace the suck. You know, sometimes things just suck, right? And so part of that may have to do with the fact that maybe you're not comfortable. And so what I found is, is that you're not growing if you are too comfortable. 
And so, um, um, Reggie, I'd like to, for you to kind of elaborate from the standpoint of, you know, as, as, as women in communities or women, when we use the word imposter syndrome, I think part of the imposter syndrome is being um, uncomfortable because either you may not feel you're prepared, you've not put yourself in a place that you've self-educated yourself, but then recognize and realize and through transparency, what are the next things I need to do? And so from a man's perspective, um, what do you think about, you know, how do we lean into this discomfort so that we can propel ourselves to the next level and recognizing that no doesn't mean no, no may be not now because we may not, may not be prepared for that. So Reggie, can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, I think a big part of leaning in to, to that discomfort, right, is, is um, just getting to know yourself, right? Being very comfortable. I, I'll tell my daughter, I have two teenage daughters. I got one that's 20, um, that's in college studying architecture at FAMU. I got another one that's 17, about to graduate. And one thing I always told them was, number one, grades equals choices, right? And then I have a saying I call it 3PIP. If you pray, you perspire, and you prepare, it equals infinite possibility. So we always talk about that, right? Every time they walk in the door, get ready to take a test, three PIP, you ready? And I think a big part of that is I've told them, get comfortable in your greatness, right? Who in here has a favorite chair in your house? Like the chair, when you sit in a couch that you sit in, you're just like, oh, right? You feel comfortable, like this is your like moment. But how many of us can find that comfortable state of peace sitting in the office? Right? But part of that is because you're not channeling your own comfort level. When you go in the bathroom and take that breath and look in the mirror and remind yourself how brilliant you are, your experiences, how you got there, remind yourself, right? Remind yourself of sometimes you got to go out and ask people, what's my superpower? So you can get that feedback. So I think a big part of leaning to that discomfort is to make sure you start challenging yourself by actually doing that self reflection and looking to some of your best friends and maybe some of your not so best friends and asking for feedback that helps you kind of put it all together. So, um, you know, one thing that, I, that I'll tell you is that, you know, through, you know, that especially that post George Floyd moment, right? I was, anybody heard that book or, or the series Emmanuel Acho, Uncomfortable Conversations, right? Mm -hmm. So I started doing those at GM. With, 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 it's called Uncomfortable Conversations with Emmanuel Acho. He's got a book, he had an Apple series out there. So I started doing a couple of these uncomfortable conversations with Reggie Humphrey, right? And as I'm sitting in some of these rooms, virtually at the time, obviously with COVID, uh, all kind of folks want to be distractions, right? So I'm sitting in one small group, and, and, and I, quite frankly, I had a, a woman who wanted to debate me on how the use of the N-word, right, was so prevalent in rap music, but yet she wasn't supposed to use it, right? Okay. We can have that discussion, right? I wasn't gonna let her knock me off my square, though. I'm like, you know what? You and I can take that off as a sidebar. I said, but here's my only advice. Use the word, but be prepared for the consequences. I was like, right? I said, and I gave her my opinion on how I've used it in the past and what I don't, why I don't use it in the future, but I said, just be prepared for the consequences. The second one of the other conversations, I had a white man who said, wanted to debate me on the merits of minority scholarships and the fact that he couldn't find a scholarship for his son because all the scholarships went to minorities. I was like, is that right? So I actually found him a site called the White Man's Guide to Minority Scholarships. I said, you can go to my alma mater right now for free. <laughs> Alabama a and is accepting you, right? So I think a part of that leading into that uncomfortable moment is, again, don't get emotional, right? You start, again, going back to that curiosity. And, and the last thing I say on this point is that when you really, really want to lean in, you got to be prepared for your own vulnerability. Right? As I was doing these sessions, I was asked to do one by a good friend of mine, happened to be an older white gentleman, 
Jewish gentleman, he said, Rich, I got a group of CEOs that I meet with every month. He's like, but they have zero diversity, right? Made up of white men and white women. He said, I don't want you to come and speak to them. Have one of your sessions. And I did that. And in the middle of one of my sessions, I got real emotional. And I was actually kind of ashamed. I'm sitting there in front of millionaires, maybe billionaires. And I said to myself, and he, he pulled me to the side. He said, the only reason you got emotional is because you had to go through and trudge through a whole bunch of history and lived experiences, and your mind hadn't caught up with your heart. And in that moment where I had a man that wanted to challenge me on what Black Lives Matter was, I was like, I don't need the or. I am black. My life matters. But he was trying to knock me off my screen. Oh, you should do that. I said, no, no, no. I'm not going there. So a big part of being able to lean into those uncomfortable moments is finding that easy chair, like it's at your house, in the middle of a boardroom, in the middle of a meeting. Get your mind right, start breathing through it. I don't care if you pick up, pick up your phone so you can see yourself, and just look at yourself again and be like, you know you all right. Because <laughs> that's how you're going to find how to channel through those uncomfortable moments. Right. Yes. Reggie, you, 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 hit, you hit a spot there. You know, you, you, gotta, you gotta smile through that pain. And you got to smile through that 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 feedback that sometimes it doesn't make any in any sense. And so so part of that, you know, particularly, you know, I was in a meeting and I didn't say anything. And so when we talk about cultural differences, so if I as a African American female did something like this, what would you say? So 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 there's all kinds of nonverbals that come into play that only culturally you know what those are. So they may not necessarily be microaggressions, but they are culture responses based upon our experiences and reading those faces that I had one of my bosses tell me, fix your face. <laughs> and I said, I didn't do anything. She said, fix your face. So she could read that. And so part of that is understanding that I'm trying to be not trying to show any facial expression, just kind of smiling like, no, that's, that's not it. You're being too loud right now. Didn't say anything about being loud. So, so Cynthia, to you, because you, know, you went from uh, 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 being in the military mm -hmm. um, and, and, and for, you know, civilian, but at the senior level, how did you, particularly, it sounds like you had a, you, you were maybe, maybe calm. See, I'm still working on the better side of myself, my best side of myself, right? So most of us, anybody familiar with uh, Myers-Briggs? Oh, yeah. yeah. So when I first came into the military, anybody, I'm going to say probably military, called ISTJs yeah. or ESTJs. Who, who, who is that? ESTJ. ESTJ. So that's where we are. We came in. I got a few little military folks there. Are you an ISTJ or ESTJ? You, you know what that is? Okay, you didn't do Myers-Briggs. That's how old it is, okay, yeah, right? Oh, yeah. So anyway, that's how we started. Today, I am an INTP. Yeah. Why is that? It's because I learned through exercising and understanding who I am that I don't need to respond every time someone says something to me. Right. I've got to right. learn how to adjust right. that, and when I get that feedback, from those senior leaders or who are allies who are willing to give me that feedback to embrace that feedback. But from your standpoint, Cynthia, as a senior leader or been in a senior leader, can you provide maybe some ideas and examples of what kind of things you had to do to support maybe other women as it relates to not showing too much of themselves in the workplace, but still maintaining that authenticity? Sure, thank you. 
But I want to say one thing mm. before that. Mm -hmm. So my father wasn't a well-educated man, had never been, was, uh, didn't live in an environment when he worked where it was ne necessarily integrated. But one thing he taught us, us being, I have four sisters and one brother, he said, don't always assume when someone white says something to you that it is racism or they being prejudiced. What I want you to do is make it an opportunity to teach. So he says, now once you, once you try to teach and the sucker still doesn't get it, then I gotta teach you how to do something else. <laughs> but, and I had to remember that when I went to Newport, Rhode Island for training, uh, I was a midshipman. I, I was in ROTC in school and I went there and it was 400 people and eight of us uh, are black. And so this tall guy from Wisconsin, I'll never forget him. I won't call his name, so I don't know him, but he was redhead, about 6'5". And I went through the line and I said, you have some grits. And so he's like, what in the world is a grit? So anyway, we had that lesson. And then he, you know, he, was, he said, uh, why, do, why do the women wear those things that look like turds on their head? These were braids, right? Plats, rather, not braids, plats. See your reaction? So I remembered my father, and I had to keep remembering my father. So I said, I want to help you before someone beats you to a pulp. And I said, uh, I can't believe this. We were just talking about phones. So anyway, um, I told him, I said, you know, there's a difference in your hair and my hair and blah, 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 blah. So I took that as a teaching moment. We had quite a few, but he was a well-versed guy before he went out into the fleet leading people of color. So, but to answer your question, how did I help women? be able to do that. So we had uh, formalized mentoring as well as informal uh, mentoring. And having gone through the cultural shock that I went through when I went to work there, and someone reached out and helped me even before I walked in the door, I made sure we had hubs of people. And we also had quite a few employee resource groups. One was uh, a women uh, resource group to talk about the things that they were struggling with. Now, primarily, what they were struggling with in that environment, as you know, NSA's intelligence uh, agency, is some of the women felt like their, and I'm sure this isn't foreign, but their voice wasn't being heard. One girl, young lady, she said, you know, I went in there and I solved this problem. I wrote XYZ to do XYZ, and a guy repeated it, and they gave him credit. But here is, speaking of allyship, Another person in the room, a white man, young man, said, excuse me, Kira just said that. So why don't we let Kira finish explaining what that is? Mm -hmm. So now, that's allyship. I know I'm string. But the point is, is to have that sisterhood, no matter what the sister looks like, all right, no matter what preferences or whatever is in the mix there, is to be able to do that and lift each other up instead of tearing each other down, all right? Give the praise. Help. Hey, Queen, you're, you're amazing today, right? You're all, we're all the same. Let's just share this and understand why it is. And if you can get to the why of it, and my experience has been a lot of time, people feel threatened. They're intimidated uh, because of their own insecurities. And it's not about you, OK? It's about them. I never had a problem. They had a problem. And that comes with uh, experience and, and certainly grace. Mm -hmm. So we've got 15 minutes, and I know we've done a lot of talking, but we want to hear from you. So you've got a wealth of knowledge, wealth of experience in front of you. So we want, I'm going to open up the floor if anybody had any questions. My name is Irene Chenmi. I work with the Navy. So I'm coming back to uh, what one of the panelists just said concerning lifting up other women. 
So I've had uh, like a mentee from my advisor. And one of the things he put me in charge to bring her up, she's also a woman of color, is that she doesn't talk out. If she's presenting, it's, it dies down. So, but there is one day that she really spoke out during a presentation, that was during the COVID uh, season. And after that, it went back to just the dying down. And I was, I was advised by my branch head one day to just ask her what happened on that day. And when I talked with her, she told me she was lying on her bed while presenting. I think one of you was talking of knowing where you, f you feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. But it's been difficult for me to like, simulate that situation in a workplace situation to help her speak out, because she still goes back to that same quiet state. Mm -hmm. And I just want to know if you have a way of bringing that out. That's, that's a great point. You know, sometimes, and I want to I wanna talk, have Reggie answer this one first, because just because you're quiet doesn't mean you're not paying attention. And so I think from the standpoint of her being quiet, maybe there's a level of dis discomfort, but I think she still contributes more maybe in other ways, and she doesn't always have to be vocal. But from Reggie, from your perspective, can you, can you what kind of advice would you share with with the young lady as far as providing that. And it's, it's interesting that they, he had you do it yeah. versus him doing it. But Reggie, can you? Uh... So, I mean, I, again, I think that, because uh, everybody has to find their own way, right? Like for me, you will not believe this. My team don't believe it. I, I'm not an extrovert, right? Like after this is over, all my energy is sucked. I want to go home. I'm going to lay down. I don't want to talk to nobody, right? <laughs> but in this moment, oh, it's showtime, right? And so like when I used to go into the sourcing table, it was all the executives sitting at the table. I used to ride around Warren, Michigan, which is where our tech center is at, and I would have my favorite song on. And it would be Eminem, Lose Yourself. <laughs> and it was reminding me, this is your moment, this is your time. No one knows this sourcing package like you. And I would actually sit at the table, and all those senior executives are sitting there, and I would actually still be bobbing in my head. Because that's the music that was motivating me, right? Because I had to remind myself, getting back to getting comfortable in your greatness. I'm like, Reggie, you're here for a purpose. You're here for a reason. You have a unique offering to this table in this moment. And so one of the things I will always tell you is that if there's a moment to present, right? I tell all, anybody who's ever worked with me, ever been mentored by me, the key to promoting yourself, a brand, 70% of it is the, um, the, the environment you're in. How often do people see you, right? That's how they know your brand. 20% is your appearance, not just how you dress, how you articulate yourself. 10% is performance. So if you think about the environment that you're in, how often do people see you? How comfortable are they with you and your brand? Then when they see you, how articulate are you? How clean and polished is your look, is your sound? They actually forget about what you actually got accomplished. Hmm. And if you don't believe me, if I put a Corvette in the middle of this room, everybody knows the brand, everybody knows it's iconic, right? It looks sleek, sexy, fast, and you got inside and I said, hit the start button and it didn't start. I never told you there was an engine inside. <laughs> you expect that greatness, right? Because you're accustomed to that brand. So a big part of this for me is that practice, that preparation, that sweat equity you put into it, looking in the mirror, reminding yourself when it's time to present. You can't present like that laying down on the bed. You got to be standing up, sitting in the chair, making sure that you can actually have a reflection of how great am I right now? It's not about arrogance. It's about building yourself up and getting very comfortable in that greatness. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So um, I'm Hispanic. Spanish is my first language. 
And uh, I want to know how to make the best of microaggression so you don't become a victim. So for example, I used to get a lot of, oh, your English is so good. And it could have been like, I really, I took it as a compliment and I like to took it as a compliment. I'm bilingual and I think I should get the compliment. But now, society has put in my mind that that is a microaggression. Maybe mm. it is. In some cases, it is. Like you said, not all the time. Sometimes it is. But I think we need to really find those opportunities to promote inclusion, diversity and inclusion, mm -hmm. and teach others and take those moments. Uh, so for example, like I said, I used to take it as a compliment. Didn't make me feel bad at all. And uh, recently, a coworker, he was from UK, and he met me, and he's my friend, my, one of my biggest sponsors. But when he met me, he said, your accent is so funny. Mm -hmm. and, and he was just being like, uh, and he's not from here. So I realized in UK, they're not that sensitive. And then I guess what I'm trying to get is, we have become too sensitive. And we are also, instead of uh, building diversity and inclusion, we're like building like this wall between mm -hmm each other's, so I don't know if I'm making a question or not, but yeah. how do we prevent that? Two-way grace. Yeah. Two-way grace is my, that's my, I always tell people, you have got to build in two-way grace. You start with the button that says they're good. And every word that come out of their mouth after that, they prove otherwise. Exactly, what did Maya Angelou say? She says, if someone shows you who they are, believe them. <laughs> but don't, don't judge them the very first time did you meet them, give them some time for you to figure that out. So don't, so as far as what you did, and I like what you did was you didn't judge it first. You said, okay, great, okay. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, how many more times are you gonna say this? So obviously, what is the problem? You know, that's when you find out through their actions if they really are walking the talk or just, you know, feeding you a couple things. Did you wanna say something Yeah, I was too? just gonna chime in and say that, um, kind of diddle to that. Um, and, and sometimes you just have to give people you know, a space to be, you know, you've been some, some vulnerability, right? Because you you know the intentions of people's heart. Like, I try to look at that. Like, was this intentionally to hurt me or did they just not know? And then you can make it a teaching moment because you can say your accent is different too. Like, you know, let them kind of reflect it so they can kind of see maybe that wasn't not the right thing to say or the way it came across. But um, I just think being able to, like, uh, you have to both be willing to give a little bit. I used to have a coworker long before DEI was an acronym. He came to me one day and said, you know what, Tony? I did not grow up around black people. I would like to know more. Mm -hmm. So we started having a lunch once a month. I said, you can ask me anything you want. You will not go to HR. You can ask me anything you want. <laughs> so, safe space. Yeah, it was a safe, look, we didn't even have that word. Right. But literally, that was us just getting to know each other. I asked him questions about being white. He asked me questions about being, I mean, literally. And we did that every month, and we still do that. That's probably been going on for like eight years now. That's, that's a great idea, because you, sometimes you just need that, that, uh, that, that room and space yep. to really have those conversations. And you can't grow unless you do that. So yes. Hi. Um, I just wanted to ask the panel, I'm going to talk about the elephant in the room. The Supreme Court ruling um, on affirmative action what are your thoughts around that? It seems like we're going backwards. The pendulum is, you know, we, we still need to focus on race. And we're not where we need to be. I, I grew up in Detroit, so I live in I live in Dallas now, and no one's talking about it in the DEI space. We should be talking more about it. We should be educating our CEOs, our executives, 
Um, so what are your thoughts, and do you think it's going to affect you know, corporate America? Anybody want to answer that? I have an I, I have an opinion, but yeah, yep. I have an opinion. it's gonna take longer than time. Okay, answer real quick. Yeah. There is no doubt that that's gonna have an impact on the talent pool at our universities, yeah. right? Which isn't going to affect our ability to have equitable representation in the boardroom, right? So all of this divisiveness, we can talk all we want. Again, I go back to data, right? And and these divisive actions are meant to what they say level the playing field that continues to be lopsided. So I'll probably get in trouble, so I'm going to shut up now because my comms and Turks are looking at me like, Reggie, don't you say nothing else because you're going to get yourself in trouble. But no, I, th the bottom line is that equitable representation is there for a reason. And these policies and procedures, if we go back to the roots of why they were instituted in the first place, it's because the playing field is not level and it continues to be sitting on a huge diagonal mountain and we got to keep climbing it. Yeah, one thing that gave me a, just a, a, a slight glare of hope was the fact that at least it wasn't mandated from the federal level, right, if I'm not mistaken. So universities or the states, you can still, they can still make, there's some wiggle room relative to where you are uh, and uh, whichever, uh, I think the state has some power at their level. It's not mandated by the Supreme Court that no matter what, this won't happen anymore in the U.S. So that gave me some, uh, like I said, a glimmer of hope that there's still some flexibility if the university so chooses. So I'm Katie Ferris from HII. Um, I actually have more of a statement than anything. I've also felt like sometimes where folks are, you know, taking your ideas or seeing where, you know, it was uh, a, an idea was taken and owned by someone else. And one thing I saw, and I don't recall where, uh, a couple of responses were, thank you for agreeing with my idea. And so if they're going to steal yours, you can steal I it back. It. And that's right. the way to do that. <laughs> Great, thank you. <laughs> and one thing I learned in sales school when I was uh, being trained to be a recruiter is when you really want to dig at why someone said something like uh, your, your comrade said you talk funny or whatever, I'm sorry if I don't get it right, but you say obviously you have a reason for saying that. Do you mind if I ask you what that is? I mean, that is disarming, and it's not a yes-no answer. So... Um, We've had a lot of these DNI discussions, like you mentioned, a lot of culture shift after you know the murder of George Floyd. But it's been like three years now. I feel like I'm always having conversations. I'm really passionate, maybe loyal to a fault. I'm in a lot of employee research groups. I'm speaking to women of color constantly. I'm speaking to women or maybe people of color. I feel like how do I, what is the advice of branching out of that? For the last three years, it's always the people like us that are here, but it's like I'm trying to get past those to the people that are the majority at our company. And that is so difficult. They say, these are great conversations, that's great, but how can we make this actionable? Like, I'm action, I'm about action. And I'm just doing it by myself, and that's like the frustrating part. Can I take that? So what I would say is get allies to come along with you. Like, um, we're constantly saying this at work, just because it's Black History Month doesn't mean it's only for the black employees. Like, it's for everybody. You know, Hispanic heritage, it's for everybody. Women's history, it's for everybody. So call, pull people in. You know, don't call them out, call them in. And get them to come with you. Like, you know, you, we have to have um, allies and people who, who believe in the cause. Like, you can't just believe in it and be on the sidelines. Like, actually take action, book the trip, um, get yourself uncomfortable, it's okay. Uh, you know, I like bringing allies like to, to Nesby. John, they had like 100 people at Nesby. And I wanted to make sure everybody felt welcome. 
make it make it enable the opportunity. Meet me for lunch. So they so they feel like, okay, I know I'm gonna probably be the only white person there. That's okay. There'll be other people there too. Like we love everybody. So Okay, real quick. Um, I work in a I'm a cyber analyst, so I work in a mostly white male dominant um, field. And at my job, I'm also the chair of the women's ERG and I participate in the African-American ERG events. When I'm with my colleagues, they feel like it's always all black or all white things. And I'm just trying to figure out how can I help them understand that it's not just about being black or being a woman, but trying to include that diversity, what, what we call DEIA um, in the organization where I work. Invite them to the meetings. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your energy and being a part of today's session.